So if I were to ask you what the purpose of marriage is, what would you say? What's the goal? What's the purpose? Because like when you choose to say I do to somebody for life, you are severely curtailing your options. Are you with me? You are denying yourself a lot of potential in the future. So what is it that we're hoping to receive in exchange for that sacrifice? I have a feeling this is a question that most people never really consider. It's kind of like, what do you mean, what's the purpose or point of marriage? It's like, you love this person, and that's just what people do. You get married to them. Might as well be asking a nonsense question like, who put the alphabet in alphabetical order? It doesn't matter. Somebody did it. This is what we do. Just accept it and move on. I get that. But if I were to push you just a little bit, particularly those of you guys who are married, and I said, no, no, I want you to really think about this. What is the purpose? What's the goal? What's the point of getting married to somebody? What would you say? There are a lot of people that would say, well, the point of marriage, I guess, is happiness. That's why you spend your life. You commit to somebody. You want somebody that you love being around, somebody that makes you laugh, somebody that you can kind of experience everything alongside of. Others of you would say, well, no, I didn't get married for that reason, really. I mean, I mean, I, sure, I hope my marriage makes me happy, but I got married more because I was looking for stability. I wanted to build a life with somebody. I wanted somebody that I knew I could count on. Some of you guys say, nope, I entered into marriage from the beginning because I knew I wanted a family. From the jump, I was all about making and raising tiny humans, all right? We've all got these different reasons for entering into a marriage, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I wonder if we were to ask God, what he says the purpose of marriage is, what would his answer be? So if we ask you, we get all these different sorts of possibilities and things. But if we were to ask God, God, what is the point of marriage? What's the purpose? What's the bullseye or the target that we should be aiming towards every single day? I wonder if his answer would be different from ours. That is, if the reason that God gave us the gift of marriage, and listen, marriage is a gift. I don't care what your sister tells you. I don't care what you've heard on TV from sitcoms and things like that. Marriage is a blessing. It's a gift from God. And so I wonder, or at least I fear, that maybe we, uh, we might have a different reason for pursuing marriage than God would. Perhaps. Some of the difficulties that we experience in our relationship with our spouse is because we've confused the benefits of marriage with the purpose of marriage. We've confused the benefits of being married to somebody with the purpose or the end goal. God actually tells us what the bullseye is for marriage. This is what he wants you to be working towards. This is the whole point of the thing in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter number five, verse 31. And as it turns out, the goal isn't sex or kids or tax breaks. Those are the benefits. And thank God for the benefits of marriage. We don't want to confuse the benefit with the point. We don't want to confuse the blessings with the purpose. And in Ephesians chapter number five, verses 31 and 32, we actually see the purpose, the bullseye spelled out for us. The, the Bible says this, this is the apostle Paul. He's writing to a church that's full of people that are having all kinds of marital issues and struggles and things like that. And he says to him, as the scriptures say, and he's referencing here Genesis chapter number two. So he's pointing them back to the Old Testament. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother to be united with his wife. The two shall become one. This is a great mystery. <laughs> Paul's like, I don't even know how this works sometimes, you guys. Like, how do two people with all of their flaws come together and produce a happy marriage? I don't know. It's a mystery. But this is an illustration of the way that Christ and his church are one. Okay. So based on this one, two, based on these two verses here, these two sentences, what do you think God says the purpose of the point of marriage is? 
Well, according to this passage, the purpose of marriage is unity. This is what God wants for you. If you are in a marriage relationship, if you're thinking about getting into a marriage relationship, the goal here is to be united together. We see that word here in verse number 31 literally used, like a man and his wife will be united together. And then you notice that it says two are going to become one. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago, the scripture never says that two halves make a whole. That's something the culture tells us. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there are two complete people that somehow join their lives together and create one flesh. Two people with their own set of experiences and personality and strengths and flaws. These two people are somehow going to commit to one another in such a way so that there's no longer two, now there's one. In marriage math in the Bible, one plus one equals not two, but one, all right? And God's goal is unity. Can we put that on the screen for him? This is where we're working towards. Husband and wife building towards one another in unity. Can I share with you a truth this morning that if we really understood what we're about to see on the screen, if we believed it deep down in our souls, it would mean a whole lot fewer people getting married in our world. If some of you guys were to grab a hold of this, you'd be like, let's put our wedding on pause for a little while because I think I need to consider this just a little bit better. Marriage is the permanent exchange of me for we. Marriage is the permanent exchange of me for we. Once you commit yourself to somebody at the altar for life, you know what? You no longer think in terms of me, or at least not primarily. For your whole life leading up to your relationship, you got to ask, well, what do I want? What do I do? What makes me happy? Where do I want to go to school? Which neighborhood do I want to live in? What kind of car do I want to drive? But once you get married, you don't primarily think in terms of me and I anymore. You think in terms of what's best for our family. Where would be the best place for us to live? What would draw me closest to my spouse? What would be healthiest for my children? Marriage is the permanent exchange of me for we. So now what we're trying to do is we're trying to take two separate lives and we're trying to draw them closer in unity through this exchange of of me for we. So I've done a ton of research for this, um, for this series, you know, because it's been 18 years, 20 years if you count our um, dating life. It's been a long time since Amber and I have kind of put ourselves in the mental space of dating somebody, finding love, committing to them for the first time. Like, we kind of got a rhythm going on now. So it's like, okay, I need to remember what a lot of you guys are going through, and it's a different world today. So I need to do a lot of research. So how many of you guys know the best way to research something is to go to Google? So I go to Google, and I'm reading all of these blogs, okay? And I'm learning about what you guys have to deal with. And I'm learning what the culture says is the primary reason or motivation or goal to get married. And there is a piece of advice that I've come across on nearly every article on love, relationships, and marriage. This is definitely something that you have heard, or maybe it's even been said to you at some point in the past. When you Google this phrase, there are 119 million different results that contain this piece of advice. You ready for it? The piece of advice is, oh, whatever you do, sister, whatever you do, don't lose yourself 
in a relationship. How many of you guys have heard that before? Most definitely. I mean, it is a common thing to be told, whatever you do, do not lose yourself in this relationship. Or they'll phrase it this way, how do I not lose myself in this relationship like I have all the others? It's like I tried, I gave it my all, then the thing fell apart and I was left wondering, who am I now that I'm not in this relationship? Can I say to you, don't lose yourself in the relationship is probably decent advice when you're in that initial kind of dating stage, all right? You you haven't made any real firm commitments to one another, and maybe at that point, you should be a little bit guarded. But listen, once you say, I do, forever, you better believe the best thing for both of you to do is to lose yourself to the relationship, to exchange me for we, to start to pursue unity, to start to chase after what would be good for us instead of what would be simply good for me. Can I illustrate this for you? I'm going to put a slide here on the screen. We're going to do some geometry. I know nobody likes math, much less on Time Change Sunday at church, but bear with me. If we have a relationship and neither person is willing to lose themselves, neither person is willing to give give up what they want, if neither person is willing to lose themselves, you know what you get? You get two people who are on a parallel track with one another. They're moving in the same direction. They might even be moving at the same pace. They may even enjoy moving through life side by side, shoulder to shoulder. But you know what you'll never have? True unity. Because you're not actually moving towards one another. You're pursuing what you want and they're pursuing what they want. So when neither is willing to lose themselves, there's very little opportunity for true unity in a marriage. Now let's say, on the other hand, one person is willing to lose themselves and the other refuses. Maybe there's a a, a woman and she's like, I'll do whatever it takes for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of my family. I'll, I'll, I'll compromise. I'll move towards you. I'll do everything I can. And the husband is like, thank you. And that's it. Like he's not willing to lose himself. He's not willing to, to work towards unity. You know what you get? You get a triangle, but you get the wrong shape of triangle. You get a guy who's just going or a girl who's headed in the same direction they always have. And they expect the other person to jump over there with them. When you read online or when somebody tells you don't lose yourself in a marriage, what it is is like guard yourself against this. And that's fair. If you get into a relationship in which one person is unwilling to lose themselves for the sake of unity, then yeah, it's going to be a struggle. And you probably need to bail on that relationship. Just dip out quick, okay? That's a good thing. But in a biblical marriage, and this is the target, this is the bullseye, this is the thing that God genuinely wants for those of you guys that are in marriage or who are moving towards marriage, Both the husband and the wife are willing to lose themselves so that they can create something new together. Unity is the bullseye in your marriage. This is the the goal and purpose that God has brought you together for. So that means that, I should say before we move on, I'm not telling you, you can't have your own kind of like personality and hobbies and interests, and you can't have a life without your partner being there. I'm not saying that. Yesterday, I jumped in the Jeep, brought my dog with me, and I went to the mountains and I left Amber at home, okay? I just needed some alone time, and bringing my dog with me is like alone time. So we went hiking in the mountains. We had our time because, you know, it's okay to have your own hobbies, interests, you know, that sort of thing, your own time. I'm not telling you that that can't exist anymore. What I'm telling you is that they can't be your priority at the expense of your marriage. So listen, I don't want to pick on anybody. You may have been playing, (laughs) it's him I'm picking on. You 
You may have been playing floor hockey every Thursday night at 6 p.m. since you were seven years old. But once you get married, that schedule may have to change, brother, because that's not what's best for you as a couple. It's best for what, it's what's best for you as an individual. You may say, look, I'm just a person. I've always had close relationships with the opposite sex. That's just who I am. I'm, that per- I'm kind of flirty. It's fun. It's not going to go anywhere. But when you get married, for the sake of unity, for the sake of protecting your bond, you may have to curtail some of those conversations. Marriage is the permanent exchanging of me for we. And so for as long as a husband or wife think in terms of what's best for me, what do I want, what am I getting out of this, there's always going to be a pull, there's always going to be a friction. Neither person is going to feel like their needs are being met. This is made even more clear if you read Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 25. In Ephesians 5, 25, we talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, him, gave up his life for her. If you want to know what the example of real love looks like, if you want to know what unity would cost in your marriage, then you look not to Instagram, not to your sister-in-law's marriage, you look to Jesus. And when you look at the example that Jesus sets, you see that marriage, real love, it's sacrifice, you guys. It is sacrifice. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that marriage is a whole bunch of denying yourself and dying to yourself. Every single day, you're denying yourself and you're dying to yourself, just like it is when you're following Jesus. So until we get to that point, until we get to the point that we're willing to say, hey, I'm not going to choose or I'm not going to pursue what's best for me. I'm going to pursue what's best for we. I'm going to prioritize our family. I'm going to prioritize our marriage above and beyond anything else. Until we get to that point, we're not going to experience the unity that God wants us to have. And it's, it's going to be a struggle. And I use that word intentionally because developing unity in your marriage is a battle. It is a fight. It's a journey. It's a process, okay? When we read in um, the Bible, we read this in Genesis, we read it in the Gospel of Matthew, we read it again here in the book of Ephesians, that the husband, the man, will leave his father and mother, he will join himself to his wife, um, and the two shall become one. You know what we think that phrase means, the two shall become one? It means that when you're standing at the altar and Pastor Dan's there with you with his little Bible, and he says, do you and do you, then it's done. Y'all are one now. That's what we think. It's happened. Ah. But when you read the way that this verse is written, it doesn't say the two are one. It says the two shall become one. In the Greek language, this is written in the future tense, not the present tense. So when you say I do, what you're saying is we're going to work towards unity over the next little bit. And it's not going to happen day one. It's not going to happen year one. It may not even happen for decades. It is a battle that you fight for. It is something you run after. You pursue with your spouse because it doesn't happen automatically and it certainly doesn't happen immediately. In fact, we could put it like this. Unity in your marriage is so valuable that it is God's goal and the enemy's target. It is God's goal and Satan's target. We could say it like this. Satan's plan is to divide and conquer. God's plan is to unite and conquer. Woo, that's good, you guys. Come on now. I need some amens on that one. That one's decent, all right? Listen, there are all sorts of forces that are trying to break apart your marriage. 
These are forces from the culture. These are forces from within your own household. There are spiritual forces that are aware at work as well. And they're trying to drive a wedge in between you and your spouse. They're trying to break up unity because if you can be divided as a couple, you can be conquered as a couple. On the flip side of this, we have a father that knows the power of a united marriage. And so he is constantly working at bringing you and your spouse together because if he can unite you to one another, then there is nothing that you cannot conquer together. So the devil's plan is to divide and conquer. God's plan is to unite and conquer. If you have a good marriage, a good one, you can withstand anything that life will throw at you. Financial stress, you can handle it. Health scares, you can, you can outlast those. You can survive them. Cross-country moves, yeah, you can, like, she wants to drag your butt to PEI or something. You're like, yeah, we can manage. We can get through this because I love you, all right? <laughs> if you have a strong marriage, you could outlast infidelity, which sometimes even happens in a relatively strong marriage. It can even survive death. And on the other hand, if you have a weak marriage, it doesn't matter how good everything else in your life is going. You just got a big promotion at work, but you can't enjoy it. It doesn't matter how much money's in your RSP or the fact that your team finally won the Stanley Cup. All of it is tainted because at home, there's division and fractures and brokenness. So the enemy is going to work to divide. God is constantly at work to unite. Unity is the purpose. It's what God wants you to pursue more than anything else. Like this, sometimes we get it, um, we get very, we try to um, complicate things, you know? It's like, okay, man, we've been struggling. We've been fighting a lot. What is it that we should be focusing on? I mean, should we focus on like communication? I know that's a problem. Should that be where we focus? Yes, you should focus on communication. And in fact, next week, Amber and I are gonna be team teaching again. And the whole subject is gonna be on the, on the focus of healthy communication in a marriage. So yeah, focus on communication, but it shouldn't be where you start. Well, should we focus on sex? I feel like that's pretty important. And you know, yeah, we should. Yes, of course. Yes, that's gonna be valuable. And in two weeks, we're gonna talk about what the Bible has to say on the subject of sex. Focus on that, but don't focus on it right away. If you're in a marriage and you leave this morning, the target, the thing that you should immediately be working towards if you're not already is unity, intimacy, closeness between you and your spouse. So unity is what we pursue, but like, how? It's so easy to say, well, just be united, be close, be intimate with your spouse. That's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. So how do we accomplish unity? The answer is actually found in the book of Ephesians again, this time in chapter number four, verse three. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Can I tell you again, unity is work. It takes a fight. It takes a battle. You got to get up every day and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> not today, Satan. These kids are not going to divide us today. <laughs> Our finances are not going to divide us. No, no, we're going to stay united. That thirsty girl at the office, she's not going to divide us today. Not having it. Politics will not divide us. Faith issues will not divide us. Extended family drama, I'm not going to let it divide us. I'm going to make every effort I can to keep us united. 
But what does it say? United how? United because you cheer for the same CFL team? I mean, that'll help. You guys, I'm not going to lie, but that ain't good enough. United because you have the same approach to parenting? Well, that's also a good thing, but is that going to be enough? No. It says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit. Capital S, binding yourselves together with peace. My friends, unity is a work of the spirit. In the natural, you're not going to be able to do this. Your spouse is not that lovable (laughs) and you're not that loving. You're going to need some outside help. And thankfully, God offers it to us. Unity comes about as the work of the Spirit. In fact, we grow closer to one another as a result of growing closer to God. Maybe I could put it a little bit differently. Marriage was never meant to be done between just two people. There's always supposed to be a third. Now, before you freak out a little bit, okay? It's like, is this guy going to start talking about polygamy? He's going Old Testament on us already? No matter how many times I tell you I'm not here to start a cult, it's like everything I say, I've got to clarify. No. Of course, I'm talking about having God as the center of your relationship. Let's do some more math here for a sec, because I told you earlier, one plus one equals one. In actuality, from a biblical perspective, one plus one plus one equals one. There's a little girl. She's like, uh, I think she's seven years old. She was in the service the first hour, and afterwards, she came to me, and she said, that's bad math. And I was like, yes, it is. In the physical, that's bad math, all right? Thank you, Sophie. But in the spiritual, things that don't make sense in the physical makes sense. See, according to the scripture, one husband plus one wife plus one God equals one fulfilling marriage. That's the math. And it's really God that we're supposed to be growing towards. Unity is the goal. And we find unity when we lose ourself in the pursuit of God. Now, there are two main reasons, okay? Two main reasons that God should be at the center of what you do. The first is that God is the source of what we give to one another. God is the source of what we give to one another. So, like, just think about, (laughs) if you've been married, you know this is true. Think about all the things that you have to give to your spouse every single day in a marriage. Love, yeah, that one's, you know, it's obvious. Forgiveness, wait, you mean to tell me that when I get married, my spouse is going to wrong me every single day? Mm Mm-hmm. Patience? Wait, you mean I'm going to get on her nerve every single day? Mm-hmm. Yes, every day, though. Just ask. Just ask married people. The only time that you don't have to exercise this every day is when she goes to visit her family for a week. You know what I mean? That's the only time. Romance? Okay, I'm good with that one. Got to give it every day. Submission? Oh, third rail, you can't talk about submission. Yeah, the scripture says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You got to give it. Mm. Grace, yep, and more every single day. Can I tell you, marriage is constant giving. That's all it is. Constantly give and give and give and give. So, so many people enter into marriage relationships and they're looking for what they get. I love the way you make me feel. I love those kisses. I love those sweet texts you sent me. I love the meals that you cook. Gimme, 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 gimme. But marriage is all about giving. So the question is, who's supplying what you're giving? Because if the answer is you, if you're the source of everything you're giving, you're eventually gonna run out. You will eventually run out of feelings of love. 
You will eventually run out of patience. You will eventually be out of grace for your spouse. All of those things, if they come from you, you're eventually gonna find the bottom of the tank. But when God is at the center, we both have access to an infinite well to draw from. So no, I cannot forgive her right now for what she's done, but God can. The way I said that made it seem like there was something that I needed to forgive my wife for. No, I'm just giving you an example, all right? She may not be able to be patient with you right now on her own, but with God's help, she can be. God is the source of what we give. And so if you've got him in your relationship, then you have extra resources to draw on that you don't if he's not. Secondly, God is the only glue strong enough to keep us bound together when all the other bonds are dissolving. God is the only glue that's strong enough to keep us bound together when all our other bonds are dissolving. So um, Amber and I do a lot of relationship counseling. Sometimes this is formal, like a couple will come in, they'll sit down in our office upstairs and we'll spend an hour kind of chatting through things. Sometimes it's quickly after a service or sometimes it's via text and things like that. And she has a tendency to give people a piece of advice. And the piece of advice that she often gives is, listen, no matter what happens, remember, God is the glue that's gonna hold your relationship together. Now, if I'm being real honest with you, okay, there's a part of me that every time I hear that, I'm like, how helpful is that? I don't know. Like, it sounds kind of trite. You know, God is the glue. Sounds kind of cliche. Um, I don't know. Maybe they need something a little deeper than that. Can I tell you, God humbled me this week. He absolutely did. Because I started doing some research on Ephesians 5.31. This passage that says a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Apparently, I've never looked it up in the Greek language. And the word that's used for united literally means to be glued together. This lady knows the scripture so much better than I do. She's been right the whole time. I'm sorry I ever doubted you. God is the glue that will keep your marriage together when all the other bonds are failing. Listen, God can keep you guys united, connected to one another when the feelings are long gone. He can keep you connected when the piece of paper has no meaning left in it. When the kids are driving you apart instead of pulling you together, God is the glue that can hold your relationship when nothing else can. So it's so important that we invite him in to our marriages. And we say, God, this isn't just about me and her. This is about us. This is about the work that you want to do in us and through us. And so we're going to grow closer to one another as we grow closer to you. The goal of marriage is first to experience unity. That's your goal. That's your bullseye. That's your target that you're working towards. But God also has a goal. He also has a purpose for your marriage as well. And this one's a whole lot deeper, and it might be a little confusing at first, but bear with me, it's beautiful. Your target, your bullseye, is to experience unity. God's goal, his bullseye for you, is to proclaim, display, picture the gospel to everybody around you. See, this last thought takes us back to our original question, what would God say is the purpose of marriage? And interestingly enough, anytime marriage is discussed in the New Testament, it's always discussed in light of Jesus' relationship to the church. It's always discussed in the context of God's love for his people. This is why Paul says, two, becoming one flesh is a great mystery. I made a joke earlier, it's like, who even knows how it happens? 
God knows how it happens, and he knows what he's trying to do with it. It's a great mystery. It's an illustration of Christ and the church. The love of a spouse for their partner is meant to paint a picture of God's love for us. This is why wedding imagery is found throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, you will find time again in the New Testament, for instance, that Jesus Christ is called the groom and the church is called the bride. That's really kind of weird if you think about it. Jesus is our husband? Weird. And yet that's the imagery that God uses to describe Christ's love for his church, of which we are a part. You go to the book of Revelation, and you find that the world doesn't end in thermonuclear war. Everybody's so worried right now. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's World War III. Is this the end times? It doesn't end with like this catastrophic disaster. You know how the Bible says everything comes to an end, a consummation? With a wedding feast. Oh my goodness. We're going to get together. We're going to sit around a table with our brothers and sisters throughout history. Jesus is going to take his seat at the head of the table. We're going to eat the best food. We're going to drink the best wine. It is going to be the best way to wrap up and culminate all of history. The scripture ends with a wedding feast. And then if you want to get Old Testament for a minute, go to the book of Hosea. Oh, some of you guys have never read the book of Hosea. You don't know what you're in for, okay? Go read the book of Hosea. You're going to be like, what? In the book of Hosea, God enacts this insane parable in which a man has unfailing love for an unfaithful wife. And it's all a story about how God loves us despite our unfaithfulness to him. Despite the fact that we're bad spouses, despite the fact that we cheat, despite the fact that we're selfish, despite the fact that we turn away from all the good gifts that he gives us, He still loves us. So this wedding imagery is present throughout the Bible. This marriage imagery is there from the front page to the last. All of it is supposed to remind us that earthly love is a reflection of divine love. All of it. And we get this in terms of like parent-child relationships. We say, oh yeah, I mean, God loves me the way that I love my child. I can make sense out of that. But we struggle to understand how God could love us in the same way that a husband would love a wife or vice versa. But it shouldn't be surprising. Like think of all the good things that a marriage has. Love? Well, who loves us more than God? Commitment? Who is more faithful than our Father in heaven? Forgiveness? Yeah, that's kind of his thing. When people look at our marriages, they're actually supposed to learn something about their Father in heaven and the love that he has for humanity. And look, I know that's a lot of pressure, okay? Some of you guys are like, oh, um, I don't think my marriage is all that great. We have a lot of fights, a lot of dark seasons, a lot of deep regrets. I don't think my marriage is painting a very good picture of the gospel. Can I just encourage you? that some of the the marriages that struggle the most are actually the best reflections of the gospel. Because if you've got just this perfect, you know, everything's great and we never fight and, oh, we've been married for 25 years and, you know, it's like, okay, awesome. Um, I'm a little suspect though. (laughs) But listen, you got a couple and man, they fight like cats and dogs and they've been through it. They've had a past and a history and yet somehow they've come through and they still love each other. And they're still committed to one another. See, that illustrates the love of a God for sinful people, for unfaithful people, for people who don't always get it right. 
See, this is the heart of the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. We recognize that we're sinners. We have broken our relationship with God. We've harmed one another. We've taken advantage of each other. We've hurt ourselves with our choices and decisions. And despite all of that, God still loves us. Your spouse is not perfect. You are not perfect. Sorry, I I know I just spoiled it. You're like, what? Burst my bubble? No. None of us are perfect. But we are loved despite our imperfections. That's marriage and that's the gospel. They're painting the same picture. So you say, oh, damn, man, it's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a burden. Yes, it is. But God can use it to accomplish something really beautiful. 